Section 11 of The Blue Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Blue Flower by Henry Van Dyke. The Lost Word. Part 2. Section 4. The break with the old life was as clean as if it had been cut with a knife. Some faint image of a hermit's cell, a bare lodging in the back street of Antioch, a classroom full of earnest students, remained in Hermit's memory some dull echo of the voice of john the presbyter and the measured sound of chanting and the murmur of great congregations still lingered in his ears but it was like something that had happened to another person something that he had read long ago but of which he had lost the meaning his new life was full and smooth and rich too rich for any sense of loss to make itself felt there were a hundred affairs to busy him and the days ran swiftly by as if they were shod with winged sandals Nothing needed to be considered, prepared for, begun. Everything was ready and waiting for him. All that he had to do was to go on. The estate of Demetrius was even greater than the world had supposed. There were fertile lands in Syria which the emperor had given him, marble quarries in Phrygia, and forests of valuable timber in Cilicia. The vaults of the villa contained chests of gold and silver. The secret cabinets in the master's rooms were full of precious stones. The stewards were diligent and faithful. The servants of the household rejoiced at the young man's return. His table was spread. The rose garland of pleasure was woven for his head. His cup was overflowing with the spicy wine of power. The period of mourning for his father came at a fortunate moment to seclude and safeguard him from the storm of political troubles and persecutions that fell upon Antioch after the insults offered by the people to the imperial statues in the year 387. The friends of Demetrius, prudent and conservative persons, gathered around Hermas and made him welcome to their circle. Chief among them was Libanius, the sophist, his nearest neighbor, whose daughter Athenais had been the playmate of Hermas in the old days. He had left her a child, he found her a beautiful woman. What transformation is so magical, so charming, as this? To see the uncertain lines of youth rounded into firmness and symmetry? to discover the half-ripe, merry, changing face of a girl matured into perfect loveliness, and looking at you with calm, clear, serious eyes, not forgetting the past, but fully conscious of the changed present, this is to behold a miracle in the flesh. "'Where have you been these two years?' said Athenais, as they walked together through the garden of lilies where they had so often played. "'In a land of tiresome dreams,' answered Hermas. "'But you have wakened me, and I am never going back again.' It was not to be supposed that the sudden disappearance of Hermas from his former associates could long remain unnoticed. At first there was a mystery. There was a fear, for two or three days, that he might be lost. Some of his more intimate companions maintained that his devotion had led him out into the desert to join the anchorites. But the news of his return to the House of the Golden Pillars, and of his new life as its master, filtered quickly through the gossip of the city. Then the church was filled with dismay and grief and reproach, Messengers and letters were sent to Hermas. They disturbed him a little, but they took no hold upon him. It seemed to him as if the messengers spoke in a strange language. As he read the letters, there were words blotted out of the writing which made the full sense unintelligible. His old companions came to reprove him for leaving them, to warn him of the peril of apostasy, to entreat him to return. It all sounded vague and futile. They spoke as if he had betrayed or offended someone. But when they came to name the object of his fear, the one whom he had displeased, and to whom he should return, he heard nothing. There was a blur of silence in their speech. The clock pointed to the hour, 
but the bell did not strike at last hermas refused to see them any more one day john the presbyter stood in the atrium hermas was entertaining labanius and athanais in the banquet hall when the visit of the presbyter was announced the young master loosed a collar of gold and jewels from his neck and gave it to his scribe take this to john of antioch and tell him it is a gift from his former pupil as a token of remembrance or to spend for the poor of the city i will always send him what he wants but it is idle for us to talk together any more i do not understand what he says i have not gone to the temple nor offered sacrifice nor denied his teaching i have simply forgotten i do not think about those things any longer i am only living a happy man wishes him all happiness and farewell but john let the golden collar fall on the marble floor tell your master that we shall talk together again in due time said he as he passed sadly out of the hall the love of athenais and hermas was like a tiny rivulet that sinks out of sight in a cavern but it emerges again a bright and brimming stream the careless camaraderie of childhood was mysteriously changed into a complete companionship when athenais entered the house of the golden pillars as a bride all the music of life came with her hermas called the feast of her welcome the banquet of the full court day after day night after night week after week month after month the bliss of the home unfolded like a rose of a thousand leaves when a child came to them a strong beautiful boy worthy to be the heir of such a house the heart of the rose was filled with overflowing fragrance happiness was heaped upon happiness every wish brought its own accomplishment wealth honor beauty peace love it was an abundance of felicity so great that the soul of hermas could hardly contain it strangely enough it began to press upon him to trouble him with the very excess of joy he felt as if there was something yet needed to complete and secure it all there was an urgency within him a longing to find some outlet for his feelings he knew not how some expression and culmination of his happiness he knew not what under his joyous demeanor a secret fire of restlessness began to burn an expectancy of something yet to come which should put the touch of perfection on his life he spoke of it to athenais as they sat together one summer evening in a bower of jasmine with their boy playing at their feet there had been music in the garden but now the singers and lute-players had withdrawn leaving the master and mistress alone in the lingering twilight tremulous with an articulate melody of unseen birds there was a secret voice in the hour seeking vainly for utterance a word waiting to be spoken how deep is our happiness my beloved said hermas deeper than the sea that slumbers yonder below the city and yet it is not quite full and perfect there is a depth of joy that we have not yet known a repose of happiness that is still beyond us what is it i have no superstitions like the king who cast his signet ring into the sea because he dreaded that some secret vengeance would fall on his unbroken good fortune that was an idle terror but there is something that oppresses me like an invisible burden there is something still undone unspoken unfelt something that we need to complete everything have you not felt it too can you not lead me to it yes she answered lifting her eyes to his face i too have felt it hermas this burden this need this unsatisfied longing i think i know what it means it is gratitude the language of the heart the music of happiness there is no perfect joy without gratitude but we have never learned it and the want of it troubles us it is like being dumb with a heart full of love we must find the word for it and say it together then we shall be perfectly joined in perfect joy come my dear lord 
Let us take the boy with us and give thanks. Hermas lifted the child in his arms and turned with Athenais into the depth of the garden. There was a dismantled shrine of some forgotten fashion of worship half hidden among the luxuriant flowers. A fallen image lay beside it, face downward in the grass. They stood there, hand in hand, the boy drowsily resting on his father's shoulder. Silently the roseate light caressed the tall spires of the cypress trees. Silently the shadows gathered at their feet. Silently the tranquil stars looked out from the deepening arch of heaven. The very breath of it being paused. It was the hour of culmination, the supreme moment of felicity waiting for its crown. The tones of Hermas were clear and low as he began, half speaking and half chanting, in the rhythm of an ancient song. Fair is the world, the sea, the sky, the double kingdom of day and night, in the glow of morning, in the shadow of evening, and under the dripping light of stars. Fairer still is life in our breasts, with its manifold music and meaning, with its wonder of seeing and hearing and feeling and knowing and being. Fairer and still more fair is love that draws us together, mingles our lives in its flow, and bears them along like a river, strong and clear and swift, reflecting the stars in its bosom. Wide is our world, we are rich, we have all things, life is abundant within us, a measureless deep. Deepest of all is our love, and it longs to speak. Come thou final word, come thou crown of speech, come thou charm of peace, open the gates of our hearts, lift the weight of our joy and bear it upward. For all good gifts, for all perfect gifts, for love, for life, for the world, we praise, we bless, we thank. As a soaring bird, struck by an arrow, falls headlong from the sky, so the song of Hermas fell. At the end of his flight of gratitude there was nothing, a blank, a hollow space. He looked for a face and saw a void. He sought for a hand and clasped vacancy. His heart was throbbing and swelling with passion. The bell swung to and fro within him, beating from side to side as if it would burst, but not a single note came from it. All the fullness of his feeling, that had risen upward like a fountain, fell back from the empty sky, as cold as snow, as hard as hail, frozen and dead. There was no meaning in his happiness. No one had sent it to him. There was no one to thank for it. His felicity was a closed circle, a wall of ice. Let us go back, he said sadly to Athenais. The child is heavy upon my shoulder. We shall lay him to sleep and go into the library. The air grows chilly. We are mistaken. The gratitude of life is only a dream. There is no one to thank. And in the garden it was already night. Section 5 No outward change came to the house of the Golden Pillars. Everything moved as smoothly, as delicately, as prosperously as before. But inwardly, there was a subtle, inexplicable transformation, a vague discontent, a final and inevitable sense of incompleteness, overshadowed existence from that night when Hermas realized that his joy could never go beyond itself. The next morning, the old man whom he had seen in the grove of Daphne, but never since, appeared mysteriously at the door of the house, as if he had been sent for, and entered like an invited guest. Hermas could not but make him welcome, and at first he tried to regard him with reverence and affection, as the one through whom fortune had come, but it was impossible. There was a chill in the inscrutable smile of Marcion, as he called himself, that seemed to mock at reverence. He was in the house as one watching a strange experiment, tranquil, interested, 
ready to supply anything that might be needed for its completion but thoroughly indifferent to the feelings of the subject an anatomist of life looking curiously to see how long it would continue and how it would act after the heart had been removed in his presence hermas was conscious of a certain irritation a resentful anger against the calm frigid scrutiny of the eyes that followed him everywhere like a pair of spies peering out over the smiling mouth and long white beard why do you look at me so curiously asked hermas one morning as they sat together in the library do you see anything strange in me no said martian something familiar and what is that a singular likeness to a discontented young man that i met years ago in the grove of daphne but why would that interest you surely it was to be expected a thing that we expect often surprises us when we see it besides my curiosity is piqued i suspect you of keeping a secret from me you are jesting with me there is nothing in my life that you do not know what is the secret nothing more than the wish to have one you are growing tired of your bargain the play wearies you that is foolish do you want to try a new part the question was like a mirror upon which one comes suddenly in a half-lighted room the quick illumination falls on it and the passer-by is startled by the look of his own face you are right said hermes i am tired we have been going on stupidly in this house as if nothing were possible but what my father had done before me there is nothing original in being rich and well fed and well dressed thousands of men have tried it and have not been satisfied let us do something new let us make a mark in the world it is well said nodded the old man you are speaking again like a man after my own heart there is no folly but the loss of an opportunity to enjoy a new sensation from that day hermas seemed to be possessed with a perpetual haste an uneasiness that left him no repose the summit of life had been attained the highest possible point of felicity henceforward the course could only be at a level perhaps downward it might be brief at the best it could not be very long it was madness to lose a day an hour that would be the only fatal mistake to forfeit anything of the bargain that he had made he would have it and hold it and enjoy it all to the full the world might have nothing better to give than it had already given but surely it had many things that were new and marcian should help him to find them under his learned counsel the house of the golden pillars took on a new magnificence artists were brought from corinth and rome and alexandria to adorn it with splendor its flame glittered around the world banquets of incredible luxury drew the most celebrated guests into its triclinium and filled them with envious admiration the bees swarmed and buzzed about the golden hive the human insects gorgeous moths of pleasure and greedy flies of appetite parasites and flatterers and crowds of inquisitive idlers danced and fluttered in the dazzling light that surrounded hermas everything that he touched prospered he bought a tract of land in the caucasus and emeralds were discovered among the mountains he sent a fleet of wheat ships to italy and the price of grain doubled while it was on the way he sought political favor with the emperor and was rewarded with the governorship of the city his name was a word to conjure with the beauty of athenais lost nothing with the passing seasons but grew more perfect even under the inexplicable shade of dissatisfaction that sometimes veiled it fair as the wife of hermas was a proverb in antioch and soon men began to add to it beautiful as the son of hermas for the child developed swiftly in that favoring clime at nine years of age he was straight and strong firm of limb and clear of eye his brown head was on a level with his father's heart 
he was the jewel of the house of the golden pillars the pride of hermes the new fortunatus that year another drop of success fell into his brimming cup his black numidian horses which he had been training for the world-renowned chariot races of antioch won the victory over a score of rivals hermes received the prize carelessly from the judge's hands and turned to drive once more around the circus to show himself to the people he lifted the eager boy into the chariot beside him to share his triumph here indeed was the glory of his life this matchless son his brighter counterpart carved in breathing ivory touching his arm and balancing himself proudly on the swaying floor of the chariot as the horses pranced around the ring a great shout of applause filled the amphitheatre and thousands of spectators waved their salutations of praise hail fortunate hermus master of success hail little hermus prince of good luck the sudden tempest of acclamation the swift fluttering of innumerable garments in the air startled the horses they dashed violently forward and plunged upon the bits the left rein broke they swerved to the right swinging the chariot sideways with a grating noise and dashing it against the stone parapet of the arena in an instant the wheel was shattered the axle struck the ground and the chariot was dragged onward rocking and staggering by a strenuous effort hermes kept his place on the frail platform clinging to the unbroken rein but the boy was tossed lightly from his side at the first shock his head struck the wall and when hermes turned to look for him he was lying like a broken flower on the sand section six they carried the boy in a litter to the house of the golden pillars summoning the most skilful physician of antioch to attend him for hours the child was as quiet as death hermes watched the white eyelids folded close like lily buds at night even as one watches for the morning at last they opened but the fire of fever was burning in the eyes and the lips were moving in a wild delirium hour after hour that sweet childish voice ran through the halls and chambers of the splendid helpless house now rising in shrill calls of distress and senseless laughter now sinking in weariness and dull moaning the stars shone and faded the sun rose and set the roses bloomed and fell in the garden the birds sang and slept among the jasmine bowers but in the heart of hermes there was no song no bloom no light only speechless anguish and a certain fearful looking for of desolation he was like a man in a nightmare he saw the shapeless terror that was moving toward him but he was impotent to stay or to escape it he had done all that he could there was nothing left but to wait he paced to and fro now hurrying to the boy's bed as if he could not bear to be away from it now turning back as if he could not endure to be near it the people of the house even athenice feared to speak to him there was something so vacant and desperate in his face at nightfall on the second of those eternal days he shut himself in the library the unfilled lamp had gone out leaving a trail of smoke in the air the sprigs of mignonette and rosemary with which the room was sprinkled every day were unrenewed and scented the gloom with close odours of decay a costly manuscript of theocritus was tumbled in disorder on the floor hermes sank into a chair like a man in whom the very spring of being is broken through the darkness someone drew near he did not even lift his head a hand touched him a soft arm that was laid over his shoulders it was athenice kneeling beside him and speaking very low hermes it is almost over the child his voice grows weaker hour by hour he moans and calls for someone to help him then he laughs it breaks my heart he has just fallen asleep the moon is rising now 
unless a change comes he cannot last till sunrise is there nothing we can do is there no power that can save him is there no one to pity us and spare us let us call let us beg for compassion and help let us pray for his life yes that is what he wanted this was the only thing that could bring relief to pray to pour out his sorrow somewhere to find a greater strength than his own and cling to it and plead for mercy and to help to leave this undone was to be false to his manhood it was to be no better than the dumb beasts when their young perish how could he let the boy suffer and die without an effort a cry a prayer he sank on his knees beside athenais out of the depths out of the depths we call for pity the light of our eyes is fading the child is dying oh the child the child spare the child's life thou merciful not a word only that deadly blank the hands of hermas stretched out in supplication touched the marble table he felt the cool hardness of the polished stone beneath his fingers a roll of papyrus dislodged by his touch fell rustling to the floor through the open door faint and far off came the footsteps of the servants moving cautiously the heart of hermas was like a lamp of ice in his bosom he rose slowly to his feet lifting athenais with him it is in vain he said there is nothing for us to do long ago i knew something i think it would have helped us but i have forgotten it it is all gone but i would give all that i have if i could bring it back again now at this hour in this time of our bitter trouble a slave entered the room while he was speaking and approached hesitatingly master he said john of antioch whom we were forbidden to admit to the house has come again he would take no denial even now he waits in the peristyle and the old man martian is with him seeking to turn him away come said hermas to his wife let us go to him in the central hall the two men were standing marcion with disdainful eyes and sneering lips taunting the unbidden guest john silent quiet patient while the wandering slaves looked on in dismay he lifted his searching gaze to the haggard face of hermas my son i knew that i should see you again even though you did not send for me i have come to you because i have heard that you are in trouble it is true answered hermas passionately we are in trouble desperate trouble trouble accursed our child is dying we are poor we are destitute we are afflicted in all this house in all the world there is no one that can help us i knew something long ago when i was with you a word a name in which we might have found hope but i have lost it i gave it to this man he has taken it away from me forever he pointed to marcion the old man's lips curled scornfully a word a name he sneered what is that o most wise man and holy presbyter a thing of air a thing that make men to describe their own dreams and fancies who would go about to rob any one of such a thing as that it is a prize that only a fool would think of taking besides the young man parted with it of his own free will he bargained with me cleverly i promised him wealth and pleasure and fame what did he give in return an empty name which was a burden servant of demons be still the voice of john rang clear like a trumpet through the hall there is a name which none shall dare to take in vain there is a name which none can lose without being lost there is a name at which the devils tremble go quickly before i speak it marcian shrank into the shadow of one of the pillars 
A lamp near him tottered on its pedestal and fell with a crash. In the confusion he vanished, as noiselessly as a shade. John turned to Hermas, and his tone softened as he said, My son, you have sinned deeper than you know. The word with which you parted so lightly is the keyword of all life. Without it, the world has no meaning, existence no peace, death no refuge. It is the word that purifies love, and comforts grief, and keeps hope alive forever. It is the most precious word that ever ear has heard, or mind has known, or heart has conceived. It is the name of him who has given us life and breath and all things richly to enjoy. The name of him who, though we may forget him, never forgets us. The name of him who pities us as you pity your suffering child. The name of him who, though we wander far from him, seeks us in the wilderness and sent his son, even as his son has sent me this night, to breathe again that forgotten name in the heart that is perishing without it. Listen, my son, listen with all your soul to the blessed name of God our Father. The cold agony in the breast of Hermas dissolved like a fragment of ice that melts in a summer sea. A sense of sweet release spread through him from head to foot. The lost was found. The dew of peace fell on his parched soul, and the withering flower of human love raised its head again. He stood upright and lifted his hands high toward heaven. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. O my God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusteth in thee. My God, thou hast given. Take not thy gift away from me, O my God. Spare the life of this my child, O thou God, my father, my father. A deep hush followed the cry. Listen, whispered Athenais breathlessly. Was it an echo? It could not be, for it came again. The voice of the child, clear and low, waking from sleep and calling, Father! End of section 11